we prepare to hear the scripture, as Linda reads, just a couple of things to be reminded that for Wesley, scripture was absolutely primary. It was the foundation for everything. Everything about our lives was defined by what we find in this incredible book. There is a section that we're going to hear about in the message that, uh, that we call the prophets. And the prophets are helping redefine our concepts of God. Notice the first two words in this scripture, or really I think it's three in this version, and see how this might change the way we anticipate what's coming. This is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall come level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the God shall be revealed, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Are you holding a Bible? I'm asking you to do that, if you would. And sometimes it comes in, uh, especially at first service, for whatever reason, many of the Bibles that they were holding somehow became iPhones, iPads, and Kindles, because that's where many turn now for Scripture. And so that's what they held in their hands. What I'm asking of you, or if you don't have one, if you don't have one, just imagine Feel it. Feel the weight of it. Feel the pages and the thickness of it. And if it's electronic, imagine, if you will, the sheer volume of it. And as you imagine or as you hold it, think of the fact that it's thousands upon thousands of years of literature and, more importantly, of relationships. 
For Wesley, the Bible was absolutely the essential element. But what I appreciate so much about him is that he also talked about the fact that it was up for scrutiny, that it could handle whatever we threw at it, that it could help interpret for us if we would but open ourselves up to what it says in there, even in the midst of all of its diversity. If you remember about, I think it's six or eight weeks ago, we started kind of talking about Wesley and we began to look at Scripture as primary and we looked at those two creation stories. Do you remember that? That first creation story out of Genesis 1, and if you read through that creation story, what you see is perfection upon perfection, order upon order. And after almost every day, with only one exception, the writer said it was And at the end, the writer then said it was very good. Then we turn the page, and suddenly it doesn't get so good anymore. Because what happens then as you move from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3 is suddenly things seem to shift and change a lot. And as I said to you at that time, these are two different writers with two very different understandings and interpretations of God. And the first was this is a powerful God of perfection. That perfection in the midst of creation is an example of what God is. But then we turn the page and suddenly God becomes something different. Something that is all about punishment and about consequences. And we are introduced to my favorite part of that scripture, which is suddenly God comes into the garden as humanity, man and woman, find out that they're naked. And God says, who told you that you were naked? (laughs) And we find finger pointing to become a part of all of creation. It's always somebody else's fault. And then what we do is, is we turn the page even more and we see the depth of the consequences that this God brings onto humanity. Things like the Tower of Babel. Things like the Great Flood, even though there's a rainbow. These incredible, overwhelming, life-threatening consequences that are born out of this time. And the fear of God, the fear of God, doesn't just creep in, it becomes overwhelming. As does this feeling that we're just not worthy. If we make any mistakes, somehow we will be damned. And it's the right word. And so as we progress through the Bible, as you hold that Bible in your hands or you imagine it in your your mind, look at this progression because we then turn the page again again and suddenly we're into a time of history. And what we find in this time of history is that there is no hidden foible. Everything is found on those pages. All the successes and even all the failures. And yet through even that, we see that God is there even though there are consequences. And some of those consequences continue to be overwhelming. And we read story upon story upon story of God's relationship with humanity and humanity's relationship with God. And those stories begin to help us understand what they believe God to be. And again, overwhelming. 
But then we turn the page again, and suddenly we find other stories become intermingled. Stories like this foreigner named Ruth, or this even incredible woman, Jew, who becomes the queen in Persia, named Esther. And we see these beautiful stories unfold, and we see life unfold in different ways. And we turn the page again, and then what we have are 150 beautifully written songs that we call the Psalms. And what we find there is an incredibly deep honesty about life's struggles and the joy that can come even in the midst of life's struggles. And we turn the page again, and there are the Proverbs, these Amazing sayings, some of which we quote every day and have no idea from whence they came. But then, then we turn the page again. And suddenly we hear different voices. Voices that begin to describe a sense of God and a sense of our own role or humanity's role as being much more lost. A time where Israel lost everything a time where they were evicted from their own country and go into exile in a time of longing, deep, deep anguish, which seems to then turn into a time of hope. And out of that time of hope comes something more. It's a time of anticipation, a time of beyond hope, of now expectation that something else might happen in the future that would redefine the way that we see God or the way God is seen. And we turn the page again and suddenly there on the page is this genealogy at the beginning of one of the four Gospels. The Gospels being the good news about Jesus, the one who is to come. But we can't turn that page quite yet. Because we have to go back and look at that time of anticipation, that time of hope, that time of longing that something else is going to come. And suddenly, familiar words begin to emerge for us, particularly in this time. Words like you heard from Linda. Words that begin with words like, comfort, comfort, my people. Or words like you heard in the Advent reading, about a people in darkness anticipating a great light. Or we hear other things of these prophets that talk about where this being may come from. You, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, from you will come this something more. And we look at even in Isaiah 9, the story of potentially from whom this may come. And it becomes a young girl. And if we read farther, then what you find is this one who is to come to save the people of God, to save the world, isn't going to come in the form of a king. It's going to come in the form of a child. And not just any child. A child who is meek. A child who is wise. A child who is filled with peace and is becoming a bringer of peace. And suddenly, if we hear those words, 
that image of God may begin to shift. Because then what happens? Then in the Gospels, we're introduced to the child. And at the beginning of the introduction to the child, we see this genealogy in the beginning of Matthew. And the ancestry of this child confuses us. Maybe it shouldn't. Because the ancestry of this child begins to define what this child is going to become. Because four on that ancestry are women. Two of those women are harlots or prostitutes. One of the kings comes from the least, the last, and the lowest of the tribes. And some are just normal, everyday people. And we begin to shift and change. And then comes the birth story, which we'll talk about on Christmas Eve. But this child is born of an unwed mother. And that should take our breath away. And this child becomes everything that the prophets foretold. A healer. A bringer of peace. Even a bringer of confrontation to those who would abuse. And then we turn the page again. And beyond the Gospels, we have story upon story upon story of a multitude of people trying to get it right. All the way to Revelation, to that place where it's not about the end of time. It really is about the redefinition of time. Particularly time in that part of history where someone needed to bring hope and perfection to an imperfect world and suddenly what you have is it becomes and comes full circle. The Bible is God's biography. More importantly, it's us trying to figure out what God's hopes for us might be and certainly about what our hopes may be for God. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Friends, it's Advent. I'm going to go back up to the pulpit in just a second because I want to ask you four questions as we enter into this time. Questions about where you are in the midst of a time of anticipation. For us, as followers of Jesus, it can't just be about Black Friday or Cyber Monday. It has to be deeper than that. It can't just be about what our hopes and expectations are about what's going to be under the tree for us. It has to be more than that. This has to be for us, or I pray that it is for us, a time of anticipation about our role with God, God's role with us, and how we relate to the one who is to come. But we have to enter into this time with questions in our hearts, or the advent of the potential for something new may not come. So my questions for you as we begin this Advent season are these. What are you hoping or even expecting from God this morning or throughout this season? What are you do, willing to do to make space in your lives so hope might come 
to fruition. What are you willing to experience so that you, like the Bible, have stories you can tell about God, about Jesus, about love, about hope, and about grace? And maybe most importantly, where will you open yourself to the potential for experiencing that love and grace purposefully throughout this Advent season? Because that has the potential of defining you for the rest of the, the year and even the rest of your life. Light brings illumination. Candlelight brings warmth and comfort. What are you expecting this season? What are you bringing this season? What is God calling you to be this season? Will you pray with me? God, as we enter into this time, help us create more space. It's hard when the shopping isn't done or the decorating isn't where we need it to be. Where the anticipation of food and other things take priority. But God, I ask that the advent of this year, the advent of this coming Christian year, help us to open ourselves more fully to you because it is only when we open ourselves to you that that ever-present grace that you seek and that surrounds us every day is able to take root and find a home in us. I ask your blessing on each of us this Advent season. All this in Christ's name. Amen.